Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. We have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. You know, the Frank Mir Todd Duffy show open gets me so amped. I'm not quite sure why TJ refuses to use it. It's Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Oh. I think that's what I said, yeah. It is Monday, June 3rd. It's episode 203 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Liverpool FC wins the UEFA Champions League. So the Boston title's not enough for Ken Flo. Now your football outfit, your soccer team. <laughs> Liverpool FC, baby. I mean, if you're if you're Ken, Kenny Florian, sports fan, 2018, 2019, you're doing okay. Dude, I'm spoiled. R- ridiculous. We didn't get the premiership. Uh, we, we, I think we... Lost to your team, by the yes. way, Man City, by like a, a point or two. But uh, next next season, we're going to take it, dude. You're going down. So basically, though, since your daughter's been born, every sports team that you have wanted to win a championship in her lifetime has, has already won. done so. I know she hasn't necessarily watched all of that. Uh, yeah. As the Bruins sit two wins away from winning uh. the Stanley Cup final. A lot going on in sports, obviously, over the weekend, Ken Flo. We're going to get to Anthony Smith and this monumental upset of the now-retired Alexander Gustafson. But Andy Ruiz Jr. upsetting Anthony Joshua, I know that was on your radar this weekend. Pretty incredible, and I know anybody who's followed this story at all is pretty happy for uh, for Andy Ruiz to realize this achievement, you know? Without a doubt, man. Listen, this is one tough dude. Not only that, uh, he's extremely agile. He was not intimidated by Anthony Joshua at all. You look at the size discrepancy and just um, you know the way it was kind of billed. It was kind of like this was a warm-up fight uh, for Anthony Joshua in a lot of ways. Everyone just assumed he was going to go out there and get an easy win. That was not the case. Uh, Ruiz able to come back and, and score um, some amazing knockdowns and his speed, his determination, his ability to press forward and get on the inside of the long reach of Anthony Joshua was just awesome to watch. What a win, dude. So he was plus 1,100, right? So, I, you know, you read in some places, oh, 30 to 1 underdog, right. you know. So this wasn't a Buster Douglas-type betting line. And obviously, we're in a much more sophisticated sports betting era than we were back then. But, you know, I would think that if there was a plus 1,100 in boxing out there that people thought was a live underdog or worthwhile, just given the circle in which I run and given the conversations that I have with my friends and colleagues, that somebody might have texted me, hey, you can do worse than 
Ruiz at, at plus 1100. I right. didn't get that text message, so I didn't play the fight. Um, certainly would have, but I don't know, Kenny. It didn't seem like a lot of people going into the fight were really giving him much of a chance. And the more I've read about him after the fact, you know, it seems like he does have some tools and some skills that maybe people shouldn't have been totally put off. Perhaps the narrative is just that Joshua didn't show up. I don't know. Right. And listen, Anthony Joshua, I'm not sure we saw the best version of him. Um, I don't know if there was an injury or some kind of thing going on, but whatever it was, um, you know, I think that Ruiz was certainly underestimated. And we saw a guy that was not going to go away easy. Uh, not to mention, I, I think his speed, his ability to put together very good combinations uh, and, and the ability to adapt to that long reach of Anthony Joshua really was the difference. And um, yeah. I think a lot of people were surprised, impressed, um, and, and Ruiz is just a, a humble and good guy. It, it was awesome to see him get the win. And Anthony Joshua is a class act as well, by the very way. But, so. but um, yeah, I, I think that uh, you know, boxing probably lost a very big fight. Right. Um, you know, go going forward. But uh, who knows? Maybe we still see and, and maybe two big fights, but it could come around again. But yeah, yeah you're right. I thought Joshua handled himself with a lot of class after the fact. Wasn't hitting that versa climber Ken Flo style though, yeah. for six <laughs> weeks before this one. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, probably not. That. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is largely an MMA podcast, Ken Flo. So I want to want to get to Anthony Smith. Not a ton to sort of dissect on the Sweden show. We'll certainly get to Alexander Rokic, but Anthony fucking Lionheart Smith. Right. Like count this dude out at your own peril. okay? And there were a lot of people that did not give him any chance going in against a very motivated Alexander Gustafsson on the road in Stockholm, Sweden. We outlined how the calendar might work against Anthony Smith. And if I was on the call, I probably would have been, you know, like Anthony Smith does it again, man. Like this career resurrection goes so far beyond a resurrection at this point in time to be able to lay claim to a finish of the all world Alexander Gustafsson. Just another huge feather in the cap of Lionheart, man. And I'm happy for him. He didn't leave the lion heart at home. I tell you that. He brought it. He brought it this time. Uh, no, I, I was really impressed with Anthony Smith, man. Um, this is a guy who just continues to impress and prove the doubters wrong. Like myself, by the way, um, you know, I wasn't sure he was going to be able to get it done against Gustafson. Gustafson seemed, um, you know, very gun shy early on. Now, typically he can be a slow starter. He's the kind of guy who likes to get his rhythm, get his timing going. Um, but for a guy who enjoyed the height and reach advantage against Anthony Smith, I believe he still had the longer reach. Is that correct? But I anyways, imagine. yeah, I imagine so. And, and he just seemed very hesitant uh, against Anthony Smith, who continued to press forward and land shots from the outside against Gustafson, who just wasn't putting together the right combinations, wasn't able to find the angles. Um, it seemed very tentative. And Anthony Smith, again, as you'd imagine, as he always competes, very confident, continued to press forward, um, was not going to go away very easily, uh, was able to cut off the cage uh a lot against Gustafson. And I think Gustafson was able to handle that pressure. And I think that once again, fighting in his hometown ended up really being the end of him in a lot of ways. I think he felt the pressure um, as he was landing some of those shots and he saw Anthony Smith just not really very phased by it. Um, I, I think he started to kind of replay uh, perhaps that fight against Anthony Johnson way back when in his head a little bit started to feel the pressure and just really couldn't pull the trigger when he needed to. And Anthony Smith, again, we knew he was going to have that amazing chin. He was going to continue to press forward. Gustafson just couldn't deal with it. And for Gustafson, Gustafson, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it later. I think he made the right choice, you know, uh, retiring retiring after the fight. I saw a Gustafson that wasn't at his best. I don't know if it was because of a training camp or an injury or anything like that. I, I don't think that was the case. I think it was just a lack of hunger and a lack of adaptation and evolution in his game. Right. I mean, look at what a monster he was a couple of years ago against right. Glover Teixeira, right? You talk about a guy wanting to be there on fight night. Maybe he didn't necessarily on this Saturday night. The commentators seem to suggest that this was strategic from Alexander Gustafson to sort of you know, run some clock early and then really pour it on in the middle rounds. I think maybe Anthony Lionheart Smith is the wrong guy to do that against. Uh, but I thought it was maybe there's some truth there, but Kenny, he took the entire first round off, right? Like he didn't do anything in the first round. So in terms of establishing some sort of offensive rhythm or getting some sort of respect in terms of your power from Anthony Smith, he didn't do anything for the first five minutes. John, you're absolutely correct. And, and the thing is, 
you know, um, I remember what Daniel Cormier talked about this when he decided to take a round off in a five round fight uh, against John Jones uh, in the in their first meeting. Um, that came back to bite him big time. You cannot take any rounds off. You can maybe take your foot off the gas in some ways as far as, you know, not going crazy with your combinations and all that stuff, um, being more methodical. But to not do anything like Gustafson did in the first round, I think was not a good decision against someone like Anthony Smith, who is probably only going to get stronger as the fight goes on. This is a guy who's not going to get tired. This is a guy who's not going to... Um, lose any type of determination as, as that fight moves forward. And I think that was a big mistake for Gustafson, who's fighting in his hometown and needed to really establish uh, that he was going to set the pace, that he was going to lead the dance in this fight. And he just never did that. You hit on a couple good things there in terms of Anthony Smith's motivation and his focus. Like he was so in this fight. And I think his fairly new head coach, Mark Montoya, deserves a lot of credit for his ability to sort of maximize those 60 seconds. I thought after what was a very tough third round for Anthony Smith right. to get him back on the stool, get his head back in the game and then to produce a finish in round four. I just thought it was a great transition for, for the team, for Mark Montoya, for Anthony Lionheart Smith. But for Gustafson, this is interesting because he referenced in some post-fight setting, I don't know if it was his interview with Dan Hardy, the injury in the John Jones fight. And maybe he would have retired after the John Jones fight, but the fact that he was injured in that fight made him want to see if he could still compete with the best guys in the world. But to your point, Kenny, this Saturday night he couldn't compete against a guy he was supposed to beat as a minus 350 favorite. So I do think that there's some finality here. I think this is a guy who had announced a retirement several years prior, maybe thought about it a little bit going into the John Jones fight. Uh, he seemed very clear that this is what he wanted to do. And I know John Jones and others maybe don't believe that this is final, but it seemed and felt pretty final to me. Uh, I believe it to be final as well. And, and this is tough. And I hate saying this in a lot of ways, but Again, I, I think when everyone is looking at this fight, I, I think we all believe that this was a fight that Gustafson had to win or should have won. Um, you look at the speed discrepancy. You look at um, the experience. You look at um, the striking skill. I think the only advantage that Anthony Smith had uh, going into this fight really was the ground game. Um, and ultimately, that, that was the demise of, of Gustafson. But... I think I think Anthony Smith really won every aspect of this fight. Um, I, I agree. I think the, probably the third round was was probably the the best fight, uh, best round. Sorry for Gustafson, but besides that, I, I think that um, Gustafson just never really showed up. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not able to beat uh, a, a guy like Anthony Smith here, then yeah, I, I think it should be over. And then that's no disrespect to Anthony Smith because Anthony Smith uh, again fought an amazing fight. But this was not the Gustafson that is in his prime. This is not the Gustafson that we saw against Glover Teixeira. Uh, and, you know, I think you put it perfectly. I, I think this is a final uh, retirement here for Gustafson. It was the right decision. And a great career for Alexander Gustafson. Obviously, he was part of what many believe to be the greatest title fight in UFC history at UFC 165 against John Jones. Unable to get over the proverbial hump in a lot of big spots. The main event against Anthony Rumble Johnson in 2015 in Sweden. Uh, but certainly an all-action fighter, a guy who put Sweden on the map. And we congratulate Alexander Gustafson on his retirement. We're hoping to congratulate Ray Longo a week from now. Uh, but the, there's still work to be done. His first order of business during fight week, of course, is the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Yeah, and if I could just get through this Ray Longo minute on the Anakin Florian podcast, I can get back to holding pads and posting amazing photographs on Instagram. Throwbacks. Throwbacks. Self Man, with Matt good. Sarah. How about that picture of you and Matt Sarah from like 20 years ago? I mean, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what to say, but happy Where birthday to my that buddy, up? man. He's a great dude. And that, uh, I think I tried to sum it all up. I mean, I watched that kid, you know, start with nothing, came from nothing, really sacrificed everything. Always, you know, slept at the schools, put all his fight money back into his schools because he believed that's where he's, you know, where he was going to end up. And, you know, got again, same thing, married, beautiful girl, beautiful family, 
And more importantly, and this is true, always puts family first. And that's not easy to do right. in this business. Right. Like I'm putting my family second right now doing the Anakin Florian podcast as an example. Yeah. Like I my even, kids are downstairs. I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't even want you asking my wife that question. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, of course. And of course, the nature of your business is such that sometimes there are things that you just can't avoid. Uh, so now that picture of you and Matt, and if you haven't seen it, it's at Ray Longo MMA on Instagram, I believe. Where did you find that? Where'd you dig that up from? That one, I mean, I knew it existed, you know, but yeah. I, I did pull that off the internet, like Getty Images. Okay. I think so. Yeah, I, so I, I had seen it. Somebody had it before, and then I guess, you know, once it hits the internet, that said you have it. So I, I took a shot because I didn't know. I thought I had that, you know, saved, right. but I didn't, and that's where I got that, which was, uh, I can't even tell you what freaking year that was. I mean, you look like New York's most eligible bachelor. I mean, the hair, the tan. Like, you must have looked at that picture. Uh, like, come on, I guys. It's... I got better pictures than that. I'll put them up next week. <laughs> <Don't look. laughs> uh, yeah, I want skins. I think we need to see skins. Uh, so, uh, no, I thought you did a great job shouting out your friend. And, and we all sort of admire from afar the relationship that you guys had and still have. So very cool to see that over the weekend. So it is cool. fight week for Aljamain Sterling. Uh, I know you're not as excited as me, but but – what is your level of enthusiasm as you you guys get ready to get out of here in a day or two? Uh, no, it really is very, very high, and I think his head's in the right spot. He finished, uh, you know, training uh, yesterday. I mean, he'll do some light stuff today before he leaves, but uh, sparring was great. His energy's good, and again, I think more importantly, mentally, he's, he's there, and, you know, again, I, I the guy's, you know, he's uh, selfless. I mean, we had, uh, I think, seven fights over the weekend, and you know, he he helped me corner. I really had him in charge of uh, Saturday. Oh, wow. He cornered, you know, his brother, and you know, we went six and one. It was a great weekend for the team. We three and zero with the Ring of Combat, and then uh, New York Fighting Exchange League, I think, is the name. Uh, we went three and one. So Aljo was right there, even though he's got a big fight. I think you know his brother was fighting, and uh, I, I can't say enough about him. He's a great coach, and he's just a good dude. So. I think he's in the right spot, and I'm really, like, really, really like calling for him, man, with everything. Ray, do you think that helps, especially mentally, as you get close to a fight in a lot of ways, just being around in that fight environment, being a part of so many fights? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think for him, I think it's probably different because a lot of people want to just zone out, but for him it 100% mm. helps. Yeah. And, again, it was such a positive week for the, for the team that, you know, I think that's a great thing just to keep his head in. And, and trust me, when you a Saturday night, I mean, he must be, I, he must have watched at least an hour and a half of tape. So it wasn't like, you know, while we were waiting for all the fights, he was he was right in there. He was keeping his head in there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's different. Everybody on this team has, has their own personality and they're different. And I try to, you know, just uh, highlight all the, the better attributes and that type of stuff. And, for him, I think it was a great thing. And, Ray, when, when you're looking at a, a guy like a Pedro Munoz, where do you see him being the most dangerous? Where do you guys have to be uh, most careful in this fight? Well, I mean, look, Pedro's dangerous anywhere, but he looks like, you know, he's found a He likes to bang. So, you know, I think, obviously, I think he'd love to drag Aljo into a, a slugfest, but, you know, he's got great jiu-jitsu. But I, I, I got to tell you, I, I believe Aljo's jiu-jitsu is, is – Probably, I'm going to say, I don't know if it's underrated, but he, he's like really, really good. You know, I'm sure Pedro's a black belt and probably Aljo's a purple or a brown belt, but I don't think it matters. You know, like with that kind of, you know, MMA is totally different, but Aljo's right. really good on the floor. So I think, yeah. you know, the fighting, the Asuncao's and uh, the Rivera's, he's, he's, he's got some good fights that, you know, you could, you know, get a gauge on where Pedro is and, you know, even with the Garbrandt fight, Garbrandt chose to just jump in there and make it a slugfest. And you know, Aljo's not going to do that. So yep. uh, it should be interesting. But definitely, Pedro's on a roll. He's coming off a great win. And, you know, definitely have to be very, very careful. Aljo's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. Kenny, I do give him the grappling advantage here, at least in MMA, against a guy in Pedro Munoz, who is a two-time Brazilian national no-gi champion with over 800 jiu-jitsu matches. I do believe, though, in terms of functional MMA grappling, slight edge Sterling for me. 
uh, well, the punches well, think, make I a difference, and the wrestling, wrestling makes a difference is too. Really good, and he's great in the scramble. So, uh, you know, he's definitely a better wrestler. So, I think it, it's going to negate, you know, some of that other stuff. But he, he's really, really good, man. Very, very good. Very technical and very creative. So in Aljamain Sterling and Pedro Munoz, you have really two of my favorite people in all of mixed martial arts. I just like both of these guys, everything that they stand for. Uh, do you know Pedro at all, or will this be your sort of first time being around him? No, I don't know him at all. I don't, yeah. I don't believe I've ever met him, so this, yeah. this will be my first time. But it's nice to hear he's a good guy, so that's cool. Well, I thought one thing that was interesting was Cody Garbrandt, before he fought Pedro Munoz, he solicited the services of Rafael Cordero and Cabrinho out there in California, and those guys refused to train Cody out of respect uh, to Pedro Munoz, who I think has just made a, a positive impact on most people that he has come across, you know, in his time in the UFC. But, well, I can't wait to see it. Do you know what the, uh, do you know what the betting odds are on the fight? Have you looked that far or no? No, I didn't look that far, but I'm really curious. What is it? <clears throat> Any idea uh, before I tell you? I mean, it's got to be close, I would say. Yeah, it's close. Aljo is favored, uh, minus 135. Pedro Munoz is at plus 115. So Wow, very interesting. Very good. Yeah, I, I yeah. figured it would be close, but that, that's good. That's good. I mean, it is All right, close, la- but you know what I'm saying. Awesome. Last thing on Aljo before we let you fly with a main event prediction on Cejudo and Marais. It looks like he bought his mother uh, a house and has had to spread himself. Aljo has pretty thin to accomplish that. Great feature. I think it was on ESPN.com about uh, Aljo's mom and everything she's done for a lot of mouths to feed. And it looks like Aljo bought her a house. Oh, yeah. 100% bought her a house. And, again, I'm telling you, this guy's really grown on me. He's a great kid. You know, he's got 19 siblings. Wow! So it's he's got he's he is the patriarch of that family. Trust me. Right. You know, right. There's not. There's really. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into, it, but he's the patriarch of that family. Yeah. He really is. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people lean on him, and he's just a good dude. And he's really happy about that thing for his mom, and uh, uh, only good things to come for that guy. I think you know he's bringing all of that shit into the octagon with him too, and uh, to the better. You know, some guys, it might be a pressure, I think, for him. It's a, it's a plus. Yeah. And you can't help but root for guys like that to really financially change their lives forever by winning a, a UFC championship. And he's probably only two wins away from doing just that. All right, my man, when do you, uh, yeah. when do you head to Chicago? I'm heading out uh, Thursday. You going to be there? I'm going to be there. I am, I'm wow. flying out Wednesday night, and uh, I hope I can shake your hand. Don't do it, Ray. Don't do it. (laughs) Kenny, I feel like this was too serious today. I don't know. (laughs) know. That's why. Trying to make some jokes here. Just brush them off. Ignore them like you don't even know them. (laughs) Hey, uh, are you getting that lettuce cut? You getting a haircut before you go? I'll be getting a cut. uh, I I get my hair cut in the octagon. Somebody comes here and does it. It's like good luck. Of course you do. Of course you do. Isn't that amazing? What a service. I'll try to take a picture later. And send it to you. Can you please do that? It and just tell him to uh, tell him or her to cut it a little bit shorter this time. It grows fast. <laughs> it might. I tell you, God boy, I tell you, I'm happy about that. My hair. That's grows. a good thing. Yeah. It, it is crazy. What do you call it? Lettuce, cabbage. Uh, either one works. I love it. <laughs> hey, go get this W, man. It's a big one. I'll see you in Chicago. All right, awesome guy. Thanks, buddy. There he is, the great Raymond Peter Longo, every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And I like how if Ken Flo asks him about Munoz, he'll actually give you a little bit. A um, couple other things on Pedro since we're there, Kenny. So prior to the fight against Cody Garbrandt, uh, he had a chance to train with uh, Hobson Conceição, the first Brazilian boxer to win an Olympic gold medal in 2016. He's another Luis Doria trained guy. You may know that name from Junior Dos Santos. Munoz loves his hands. He loves to box. And I think he's going to try to knock Aljo's head off early and often in this fight. I think that'll be his approach. I think so as well. Um, I believe he'll probably you know, look for some takedowns as well. He'll mix it in just to keep Aljo honest. Um, but yeah, I think this is a guy who definitely has fallen in love with striking, um, and is going to look for the knockout early and often here against Aljo. And and listen, Aljo is an unorthodox fighter, uh, you you know, not really your textbook type striker Mm -hmm. effective, but I, I do think that Munoz, um, 
is probably the cleaner striker. There's no doubt about it, and is going to be looking for that knockout, especially with his hands. Michael Rothstein, ESPN.com. If you go to my Twitter page, J-O-N underscore A-N-I-K, you will see that article on Aljamain Sterling. So his dad, 17 kids biologically. So Aljamain Sterling's father has 17. I know Longo mentioned 19 siblings, and they didn't have an exact number in the article, uh, but... Patriarch, I mean, that sums it up. And and for Aljamain to be a college graduate and to be a professional athlete, he has really changed sort of the face of that family in terms of the expectations and everything else. So uh, I love both of these guys, uh, and it's too bad one of them uh, is going to lose this weekend unless they fight to a draw. But either way, got to think that that the winner of Cejudo Marais is probably getting the winner of Sterling and Munoz. All right, a couple things before we close the book on Anthony Lionheart-Smith. I didn't want to shortchange him when it came to the Gustafson conversation. So we did feel like Smith was hungry, right, and that the John Jones fight left a really bad taste in his mouth because if you're going to say that Alexander Gustafson was inactive on this Saturday night offensively, you know, Anthony Smith did very little in the John Jones fight, and I think it was embarrassing for him to go back and watch that fight. So now he wants a rematch with John Jones, and I think the tough part about that ask and granted, you finish Alexander Gustafson, you can ask for whatever the hell you want, right? You know the top five is pretty lean in the light heavyweight division, but the first performance was so listless, and that first fight was so not competitive nor entertaining that I'm just not sure that anybody has a great appetite for it right now, given the fact that they only fought three or four months ago. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing is John Jones is another guy who will figure you out as over the course of the fight. And if you looked at... You know the le- the later rounds. It was John Jones who really started to to pick apart Anthony Smith. Um, and you know you look at it the same thing uh, against even uh, the great Daniel Cormier. Uh, John Jones only gets better. He only gets smarter. Uh, I think it would be a very tough fight for Anthony Smith at this point to do a quick turnaround. I would prefer to see right. the younger Anthony Smith. Um, you know, go back to the gym get better, get another fight or two, then rematch John Jones, where he's in a better position to win the fight. I, I don't like the idea of a quick rematch, John. And I don't think Anthony Smith is even 30 years old yet. So even right. though he's probably got 50 pro MMA fights, there is still time. And of course, with Tiago Mejeta Santos fighting John Jones this summer, I wouldn't mind seeing Smith take some real hard time off, right? Maybe till December, year end, and and try to really stamp himself a number one contender, you know? And, and let the Ferrari get some more miles on the engine, right? Let, exactly. let John Jones get some more miles, get some more lumps and bumps, and then you fight him, I think. I'm telling you. No, that's a, that's a great point there. I do think, though, in MMA, right, it's like you root for these feel-good stories, whether it's Aljamain Sterling uh, or Anthony Lionheart-Smith with all these little girls at home, right, to have this type of success at this yeah. stage of his career. What another bonus this weekend. Uh, so did Alexander Rockich, and I think big picture for Alexander Rockich, who knocked out Jimmy Manoa in 47 seconds. When you're getting Ken Flo to tweet uh, on a Saturday morning in Los Angeles, you're doing something right. <laughs> Rakic got you to hit that tweet button over the weekend. Not totally surprising given where Jimmy Manoa is at this stage of his career, but a huge, huge result uh, and and a showcase maximized, I thought, for the Austrian Alexander Rakic. Honestly, John, I'm glad that Manawa was able to just get up from that kick. Uh-huh. I mean, that was absolutely brutal. It's one of those shots that just kind of gets you off the couch, uh, you know, and you just hope that the other guy is okay. You are wowed by it. Yeah. Rackets just hitting that left kick from hell. My goodness. I don't care who you are. If you land a shot like that, and I know Manawa, he's been chinny and stuff like that. He's had a lot of fights. You're knocking out anybody. If you land a shot like that on the jaw, I mean, watch out. Rakic just hit that beautiful left kick, timed it beautifully, and he hit it behind his hands. And when you when you throw a left hand and then a left kick to follow, um, a lot of times you just don't see it. It's that hand that kind of disguises that kick that comes from the same spot. And I think Manawa just wasn't ready for it. Uh, the struggles continue for Manawa. The inconsistency continues. Um, I, I don't know what the future holds for him, but um, you know he has certainly uh, experienced some tough fights in the UFC. Manawa is a good guy, really has turned his life around, Great a guy. guy who has a tremendous amount of knockout power. Um, but this was one of those those fights that it, it was hard to see. Rackets just 
delivered yeah. an amazing finish. No, and you see something like that. It's a baseball bat to the side exactly. of somebody's head. and you It hope, sounded like it, too. Yeah, and you, you hope they live. I mean, candidly, right? I yeah. mean, it's combat. You hope uh, that they live. Uh, 39 years old, four straight losses for Jimmy Manawa. Great guy. You know, there's only one poster boy, but his better days certainly appear to be behind him. Uh, saying, the opposite can be said, of course, for Alexander Rockich now on the short list of top light heavyweight contenders. All right, main event challenge coming up in 60 seconds. First, though, we got to do the pronunciation of the week because we missed it last week. TJ DeSantis still a very generous 3-5 and five on the year. Uh, this week, it is a Bulgarian heavyweight. He beat the king of Kenosha, Ben Rothwell for his first UFC win in March, TJ DeSantis, of whom am I speaking? Blagoj Ivanov. Say it again. No. When there's a close fight, you don't get to say, hey, do it again. I don't want to turn I in my scorecard. I missed the first name. I missed the <laughs> first name. Blagoj. Okay, let's hear him say it. Blagoj Baga Ivanov. Blagoj Baga Ivanov. All right, Ken Flo. So I I had a hard time hearing TJ. Uh, it's Blagoy with a W and not Blagoy with an L. So if you said it with the W, TJ, then uh, Red Square gets the circle or the star. What was that, Hollywood Squares? Yeah, Hollywood Squares. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't give it to him. I didn't hear a Blagoy. You guys TJ, are. What'd you say? You guys are ridiculous. I said Blagoy. Yeah, you did. No, you didn't. You said Blagoy with an L. It's a good thing that you can go back and uh, listen to this on tape and give me my win then. Jay, can you just be a man of veracity and tell me which one you said that first time I'm around, telling you. you. I said I would have said Blagoy. I would have said Blagoy. I would have got that yeah. wrong. Right. All right. TJ gets the point, Ken Flo. He's 4-5 ah, on the Yes. Congratulations right. to TJ DeSantis. Uh, let's see if we can produce some wins here for the, uh, the masses. UFC 238 beckons this weekend. Let's get to the picks. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Oh, and isn't it amazing that Ian Parker has yet to ask to have his name included in the main event challenge drop? I'm sure that request is coming in in the next few weeks. Uh, we update the scoreboard first. Team Attic led it 63-52 to heading into UFC Stockholm. Uh, not a great week on the picks for Team Florian or no. Team Parker. You guys tied 1-1, 64-53 as we hit Chicago, Illinois this weekend. And, of course, with us to make picks today, former mixed martial arts manager Ian Parker. UFC 238, Cejudo versus Marais. As deep a fight card top to bottom as there has been thus far in 2019. As such, 10 free plays today from Kenny Florian and Ian Parker. The experts are ready to go. All right, let's get to it. First fight for us. First fight of the night, actually, on UFC Fight Pass. We're picking it because both of these flyweights are in the top six. Caitlin Chukagian, number two in the world, taking on the sixth-ranked JoJo Calderwood. Pick them fight according to Las Vegas, minus 110 on both sides. I.P., who do you like? Well, first off, I love the idea of having me added in on that main event challenge promo. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it yet, but hey, if you're offering, I'm not going to say no. I happen <laughs> to like Joanne Calderwood in this fight. I think coming off that last one, the confidence is there. She's starting to put it all together, and I just think she's seen a little bit of better competition. It's nothing against Caitlin. I do think she is a talented fighter. I just think that there is more to Calderwood's game, and I'm going with her. Kenny, I think that's a sharp take from Ian Calderwood. In my mind, showcasing the best form of her career, back-to-back -back wins. She was a plus-185 underdog for that win over Ariane Lipsky, so that is a big feather in her cap in my mind. Chukagian would be fighting for the belt this weekend, but she was upended by Jessica I as a 2-1 favorite last December. So a close fight, a big fight in terms of the division's landscape. Ken Flo, which way you going? You know, um, Calderwood, I don't feel like she's active enough and has adapted enough footwork-wise for mixed martial arts. I think she's getting there. Um, I think she's getting better on the ground as well. She's been working hard in that area. Um, big fan of her. I love her cute voice. Uh, she, she's been <laughs> awesome to watch uh, all the way from The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, but I think Chikagian, um, I don't know. I, I think she's a little bit too well-rounded. Uh, I think she's going to be able to put together a good game plan. I see it being a very close fight. Um, but I see Chikagian winning this by decision. 
and we like the early disagreement. All right, pick two of ten coming your way today here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. Another prelim, first of a killer four-pack that I'm looking at here live on ESPN in the featherweight division. Calvin Cater, the minus 155 favorite against the plus 135 underdog, Ricardo the Bully Lamas. So Cater, Ian, asked for a top 15 guy after his win over Chris Fishgold last October. Instead, he gets a top 10 guy in Lamas, and he's favored to beat him. Which way are you going here? So, you know, based on the game, based on how we play this, at some point, underdogs are going to have to be taken. And I think if there's ever a time for Lamas to win as a somewhat of a slight underdog, I think this is the one. Calvin looked great in his last fight against Fishgold. However, I don't think he's seen someone as complete as Ricardo Lamas, and obviously you saw with Fishgold's performance, there's still a lot more that he needs to work on. So I wasn't, you know, I'm not, this is a hard one to really pick. Calvin's on the up and up, and people are going to say maybe Ricardo is on the way down. But you saw in his last fight, even though it was against Elkins, he finished, and he looked pretty good. You know, we, we, Team Maddox needs to get some points, some underdogs, and being that Kenny's already disagreeing with me out the gate, and I think he's going to disagree with me here too. I'm going to go with the bully. I'm going Ricardo Lamas. I'm hoping that his wrestling game will keep the fight standing a little bit. I do like his hands. I think he's just seen tougher competition. And I'm thinking the underdog here. I'm going Lamas. Ken Flo, did he just mispronounce my last name? You know I love you, Ian, but did you just call us <laughs> Team Onik or, or am I missing something? <laughs> nope, maybe. Nope, I did not call you Onik. If that okay. came out with my accent, I apologize. I, oh, me, they, there are plenty of names I'm probably going to pronounce wrong and it's going to drive you crazy, but Anik is not one of them. Okay, I my sincerest apologies. It was just the New York No, twang. you're good, but, like, but Team Florian, it's your turn. Hey, oh, there you go. Just, it's just oh, like anecdote, man. right? It's like anecdote, so it's not a new It's not tonic. All right, so, Kenny, I went on to UFC Fight Pass yesterday uh, to do a little prep on this Ricardo Lamas. A lot of footage for uh, Tyson Chaudier and the guys at New England MMA to break down. 15 UFC fights, six in the WEC. Uh, had a big win over Darren Elkins last November to halt the two-fight skid. Your thoughts on Lamas versus the Bostonian Calvin Cater? This is a tough one. This is by far Calvin Cater's most difficult matchup to date in the UFC. Um, I think Cater is probably the cleaner striker in a lot of ways. Seems a little bit more comfortable on, on the feet. Um, but I, I think for Lamas, his ability to mix up uh, the wrestling and and keep him guessing a little bit on that and I think will be uh, you know it's going to be a huge advantage for Lamas not to mention all the experience that he has uh, it was good to see Lamas get the win over a very tough Darren Elkins I think Cater uh, is as tough as they come he's not going to quit easy but I, I think this is a little bit too much for my liking I think a little bit too much of a a jump up in competition uh, and you know what, uh, Ian Parker thought I was going to go the other way. In combat, you got to keep people guessing at all times. I'm going with Lamas here. I agree with you, Ian. Unfortunately, Ken Flo is fired up. Agreement on Ricardo Lamas. We move on to the strawweight division. Carolina Kovalkiewicz minus 140 against Alexa Grasso, who is plus 120. Don't need a ton on this, Ian Parker, but a big fight nonetheless. Who do you like here at 115 pounds, Kovalkiewicz or Grasso? I'll keep it short. I'm going Kovalkiewicz. Uh, based on the experience, I think this is a do-or-die for her right now. She has not had this many losses in a row in her career. I think she's very right. well-rounded. I think if she can keep this fight standing, it's hers. And I'm going with her. Kenny, I can't believe you took Lamas in that. I thought that was going to be my out right there. That's the advantage of going second every single time. <laughs> well, we will uh, We'll let you pick uh, second on the co-main event today. Um, nice. Ken Flo... He mentioned Kovalkiewicz and the recent setbacks. Lost the unanimous decision to Michelle Waterson. That was March 30th in Philly. She gets right back on the horse here. She's been as active as anyone in the division. The opposite, of course, can be said of Alexa Grasso. Last fight, a loss to Tatiana Suarez, but that was over a year ago, May of 2018. Talk to us, kid. I'm keeping them guessing again, kid. Listen, uh, I'm going with Grasso. I think her most difficult matchups are those those women that are going to look to take her down. I like her chances here as the underdog. All right, among the bigger fights of the night, we shine the spotlight on this one earlier. You can see this prelim live on ESPN. Aljamain Sterling, minus 135 against Pedro Munoz, who is plus 115. Ian Aljo, the slight favorite here. I know there's some familiarity there. You used to be a member of this team in a lot of respects. Aljamain Sterling in the biggest fight of his life against Pedro Munoz. Who do you like? Keeping bias to the side, I would still go Aljo all day. I, I'm very confident in him in this fight. I think his IQ um, and overall, overall 
his, he's just so well rounded. He's not going to get into a brawl with Pedro. He's, and if you, the biggest thing with with uh, with Aljo, I'm sorry, again against a shorter, stockier fighter, is that range, that push kick game. This is Aljo's fight. He's got this, and then on to the title fight next. Yeah, I'm glad you sort of touched on the fight IQ because I think that's, in a lot of respects, where you should begin when you're talking about Aljamain Sterling. Ken Flo on the other side, Pedro Munoz, three wins straight, seven of eight. The big knockout of Cody Garbrandt three months ago, UFC 235 in Vegas, probably the biggest win that either of these two fighters have produced. What do you think about Sterling and Munoz here? You know, this was a, this was an interesting one. You know, in, in a lot of respects, I would probably go with the underdog in this matchup, whoever the underdog is, just to get some uh, points. But um, I agree with Ian here. I'm going to go with Aljo. I think that the proper range uh, that Munoz w- wants to fight at isn't the range that Aljo fights at at all. He really stays all the way on the outside, and then when he does go on the inside, he looks for takedown. So I think that's going to throw Munoz, Munoz off a little bit. It's going to frustrate him. I think Aljo's done a good job of sticking to the game plan, um, and I don't see him changing this time around. I'm going with Aljo for the win here. Brilliantly put by Ken Flo. And you know Longo just hates when you pick against <laughs> his guys. And I don't even say that for, like, good sports radio content. Like, he gets legitimately upset (laughs) when you're on the other side. So as he's flying to Chicago listening to this, he'll be very happy to know that. (laughs) I love you, Ray. Come on. But Ken Flo is also on the Aljamain Sterling side this weekend. All right, featured prelim on ESPN, Ian Tatiana Suarez, the massive minus 1,200 favorite. She'll try to move to 9-0 against Nina Antaroff, who is plus 750. Ansaroff in search of a fifth straight win, potentially a title shot if she wins here. Suarez, Ansaroff, Ian, who do you like? Well, I, I want to tip my hat to Ansaroff. I think she has surprised everybody in this run that nobody was really expecting. I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just her career, she almost thought about hanging it up, and then look what she's done. However, right. I think she's running to an absolute savage beast right now in Tatiana Suarez, and I'm never going to pick against her until somebody does beat her. Um she wrestles better than some of the men in, in, this, yeah. in the UFC. It's kind of crazy. I, and she also, again, a, just a very smart fighter. She plays to her strengths. She knows when to attack. I think her game is just going to keep getting better. Suarez, is, I, I, I can't go against her. I, I love her in this, in this fight, and uh, I'm sticking with it. Ken Flo, Ian Parker, 0-1 as an MMA pro. Suarez beats a prime <laughs> Ian Parker. Suarez oh, no beats a prime about, Ian Parker. I, I, put, I put everything on, on Suarez. <laughs> To smash Ian Parker. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah, the, the, the ground game. Just... This is feeling very weird right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. No, uh, this is tempting to me. I, I, look at who Nina Ansaroff has beaten. She's beaten a lot of very tough women, uh, you know, up on this run. And I think that, you know, the fight will ultimately uh, play out on the ground, just given Suarez's, uh, you know, propensity to, to t- put people on their back. I think Ansaroff is probably better with her submission game when she gets on top. I don't see that happening too much against Suarez, but I think if there's someone who can pull it off, it's Nina Ansaroff. I think you need someone with a strong ground ground game. I think Ansaroff certainly has the advantage on the feet, and with her being a plus 750 underdog, that would give me a lot of points. I'm just... Ah. I'm so tempted, John, but I still I gotta go with Tatiana Suarez. I just I, I don't see her making a, a drastic error here. I, I just don't see it seeing some kind of tragic mistake here. I, I think Suarez will probably get the win, possibly a TKO, but most likely a decision for Tatiana Suarez. And it's probably a disciplined play out of you because yes, in our scoring system, if Nina Ansaroff wins, you get eight points and right. given the deficit right now, you could cut that. And, and of course her win against Claudia Gadelia essentially won you the main event challenge in 2018. Yes. So I understand, uh, why you're inclined to do that, but it's Tatiana Suarez minus 1200 for both guys. All right. Main card now heavyweights tied to Ivasa, the minus 170 favorite against Bwagoy. Ivanov. Ivanov comes back at plus 145. Ian Parker, what do you think? So, I think one of these two guys is just extremely underrated. I think these odds are really... I'm, I'm surprised because I kind of like the underdog in this one. I like I like uh, Ivanov in this fight. I think what he's good at, um, that's where Trivasa kind of lacks. I don't see uh, Ivanov getting into a brawl. I think he's smarter than that. I think once he gets close and gets inside, he's going to impose his wrestling game like he's done his 
Dirty Boxing, uh, as he's done in his other organizations he's been a part of. And I think I'm going with that. And if Kenny takes this one, then I just don't know what to do at this point. So Team Parker is choosing, since Anik is making fun of me all day, the underdog in this one, even up. All right, Parker likes Ivanov at plus 145. Ken Flo, close decision win for Boagoy Ivanov against Ben Rothwell in March in Wichita. I was there. I, I thought Ben Rothwell won that fight. Uh, Tui Vasa on the other side was fast-tracking toward contention before running into Junior Dos Santos in a main event in Adelaide, Australia last December. Tui Vasa, slight favorite here, minus 170 or so. Who do you like? This is a tough fight. Um you know, I think Tui Vasa certainly has more power on the feet, can definitely get it done by knockout. Um, you know, I think Boagoy, as much as like, you know, he does have the wrestling advantage, I don't know if he can really consistently take down someone like Tai Tui Vasa. Um, I like Tui Vasa in this one. All right, Tui Vasa minus 170 for the flow. Next up in the Bantamweight division, another high-profile bout for the oncoming force, who is Piotr Jan. Favorite at a minus 340 clip here against Jimmy Rivera, who can be had at plus 270 if you've got the stones to take him. Rivera or Jan for you, IP? Uh, again, I, you know, I understand why Jan is a favorite. I don't think it should be a minus 340. I felt like this one should have been more of a minus 220. I know Rivera is coming off a bunch of losses. Um, however, it's not going to stop me from taking Jan. Jan is this new type of fighter in this division. He's exciting. I think we've just seen everything Rivera really has to offer. I think he might have hit his ceiling. I love him. I think he's a great fighter, but I just, I think Jan just got so much momentum and he is constantly getting better. And it's cool to see some fresh blood in the division. So I'm going with the yep. heavy favorite in Jan in this one. The Russian Jan 4 0 in the UFC looks, Kenny, like a legitimate title threat to a lot of people on the other side. Jimmy Rivera trying to avoid a third loss in four fights. Your thoughts on this one? Uh, a threat to the belt, perhaps, uh, and certainly a threat to Jimmy Rivera with his knockout power. And I think Jimmy, I don't know, he's a changed fighter after that knockout against Moraes, in my opinion. And and we've seen that before. Some guys just can never be the same guy. And to me, I think Rivera has been hesitant uh, since that knockout. Um, I think he's going to be hesitant here against a guy who can probably do the same thing, uh, not only with his hands, but with his elbows, his knees, and his feet. Um, I, I think Jan most likely gets it done, but I do agree with Ian here. Probably a, a little bit too big of a favorite. Should get a desperate Jimmy Rivera, right? Largely dominated by Aljamain Sterling. The buzzword, I agree, Kenny, hesitancy, right? He can't hesitate yeah. and might pay for it against a guy as powerful as Piotr Jan. All right, featured bout in the lightweight division. I'm going to stand up for this because this marks the return of Tony fucking Ferguson. Must see television. A guy who certainly rivals Justin Gaethje as being one of the most watchable professional athletes on the planet Earth. His counterpart, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, I think also in that conversation. Ferguson favored here, minus 170. Cerrone coming back at plus 145. What do you think, Ian Parker? Competitive fight here at lightweight, high stakes. Which way are you going? Uh, th this fight is just pure violence. Um, we're just missing Gaethje in as a triple threat match for the first time in the history of MMA. It's going to be sick. Um, I am so confused to why Donald Cerrone took this fight, though. I think there was other matchups out there that would have gotten to the title. Ferguson is just so dangerous. And, you know, a torn ACL and ring rust just doesn't – this guy's an alien. Um, he freaks me out. And as much as I want to uh -huh. love Cerrone and I want to – be all about that dad power and the revenge with his son danger. That's his new motivation. I just can't pick. I just can't pick against Tony Ferguson. I, I think stylistically he's a nightmare matchup for most guys. And even though Cowboy showed us a lot in his fight against Al, um, Tony is a different fighter than Al. You know, Tony's a different fighter than most. Arguably, this guy should be fighting for the title every other weekend and still hasn't really lost his belt. So I'm going Tony Ferguson here. Um, I can understand why people may go Cowboy. But I think it's because people tend to forget just how good and insane Tony Ferguson really is. Ken Flo, Tony Ferguson's last win, his 11th straight, a finish of Anthony Showtime Pettis last October, which feels like a very long time ago. He did get dropped in that fight. On the other side, Donald Cerrone, 32nd UFC appearance. He's 36 years old. Of course, the fight against Iaquinta was five hard rounds. It was May 4th. Um, Ferguson, you know, he's fought just twice since 2016, so maybe the lesser-known quantity coming in this weekend. Outstanding fight, of course, one that jumps off the card. The masses want to know on which side does the flow fall. 
there's no way this fight isn't going to be an absolute classic. Uh, this is tremendous matchmaking. This is a fight that I wanted to see. We actually talked about this on this very podcast. I'm glad uh, they, they, they did it. Um, you know, if you asked me a couple years ago, John Anik, it would be an easy answer. Tony Ferguson all day. Um, but Donald Cerrone is a different fighter these days. Why? Mentally, he's tougher. He's stronger. Uh, I, I do believe that, you know, when you bring a kid into this world, uh, you're going to fight with a little extra oomph. And I think we're seeing that out of Donald Cerrone. Um, I think he's been more consistent. Um, in, in a lot of ways, he's the more technical fighter here. But Tony Ferguson, you're going to have to kill a Tony Ferguson. Um, yes. Ferguson will continue to come forward, and sometimes he get he gets off to a slow start, as does Donald Cerrone, by the way. I think Donald Cerrone has uh, sort of rectified that for the most part. Tony Ferguson, I'm not sure he has, but once he gets into, his, uh, gets into a rhythm and kind of gets hit a little bit, Tony Ferguson only gets stronger and only gets tougher. So um, this is a tough one to pick. I think Tony Ferguson gets the win uh, here against Donald Cerrone. It should be an amazing fight while it lasts. You really do have to separate Tony Ferguson from consciousness, right? He gets knocked down by Anthony Pettis and immediately reverse somersault back into yeah. a position to fight, right? Recoverability, training, everything else just completely off the charts. And it'll be good to have Tony Ferguson back. And in terms of the motivation for Donald Cerrone. Some guys don't necessarily need that motivation or feed off of the kid, but I can't think of a fighter that has fed off of it in such a positive way. I mean, even his Instagram page is like, oh, here's danger motivating me in training. I really feel like at this stage of his career, he was somebody that needed the motivation, and he has certainly got it uh, in the form of his son. All right, co-headliner for the UFC Women's Flyweight title. Uh, we'll have Ken Flo lead here. Valentina Shevchenko, Kenny, minus... Sixteen hundred, so sixteen hundred dollars would return you one hundred. On the other side, if you play Jessica Ida win and she does one hundred, will pay you nine hundred. So you walk with a thousand, but she's got to be Valentina Shevchenko for you to walk with the dime. We'll need the round and the method of victory here, Ken Flo. What kind of chance are you giving Jessica? I? You know, I think Jessica I is tough. Um, I think she's in the right division now. I think she looks good. Um, she's made some improvements in her game. I just think she's dealing with a fighter that just has way too much for her in Shevchenko. I think Shevchenko is still very hungry. Um, this is a woman that is training all the time, traveling all the time to train, bringing in the right women for her to get better consistently. I think we're going to continue to see that in Shevchenko. I think we'll see an even better version uh, Jessica, I, in my opinion, just doesn't have enough weapons to defeat someone like a Shevchenko. Um, I do see her hanging in there for a little bit, uh, but I see a, a TKO or knockout by Shevchenko in round four. Round four, Valentina Shevchenko by TKO, the pick to click for the flow. So, Ian, on the other side, if you go back to UFC 203, September 2016, in her native Cleveland, Jessica I drops the split decision to Betch Cohea. Devastating at the time, third straight loss. At home, looked like she'd never get to compete for a UFC title. You fast forward three years, flyweight division off and running, three straight wins for I, and this weekend she'll try to turn in one of the biggest championship upsets in UFC history. Your thoughts on the co-main event, Shevchenko versus I? I like Shevchenko here. I think Kenny pretty much hit it on the head at every single point you could possibly make. It's somebody that just keeps getting better, even though they're at the top of the game. Uh, I think she wants to get back to even rematching. Nunez at some point, you know, going after that belt. I think Jessica I has shown that grit to, to make a heavy comeback. I just think she's running into an extremely tough task into someone who's just that much better everywhere and just keeps getting better. So I'm going Valentina. I'm going to actually go round two submission, try and shake it up round a little bit. Round two submission for Valentina Shevchenko. All right, main event for the vacant UFC Bantamweight title, Marlon Marais, minus 140, Henry Cejudo in the plus 120 range. Ian will need the round and the method of victory here. Does Cejudo leave Chicago a double champ, or does Marlon Marais cap this incredible run with a world title? As long as I don't have to hear anymore that Cejudo has won a gold medal, um, you know, I'm <laughs> honestly, this fight, it's, it's it. yeah, I said it. I said it. We got a um, hater here. I, I'm allowed to say it. I don't, really, I don't work for the UFC or for any other outlet, so I'm allowed to be the controversial one here, right? <laughs> uh, you sound like Daniel Cormier. Sorry, go ahead. 
No, go ahead. As you were. Yeah. So, honestly, um, this fight makes a ton of sense. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I really am happy that Bryce is getting a chance to finally... If there's anyone, any division that's as of deserving to get a title shot, it's definitely him. And I kind of see this fight going his way. I think he's got the speed. I think he's got the power, clearly. I think he's got better hands than Cejudo. And if Cejudo can't get this fight to the ground, I think he's going to be in a world of trouble. Um, I don't know if Morais will finish him like he's finished everyone else. It's so tough to not pick on. Um, but I'm going to, again, because I, I can't go decision on this one. I just, I'm going to go with Morais. I'm going to say TKO round three. TKO round wow. three. Ian, I know you have to pick up your son. Do you want to stay on the line for Ken Flo's pick, or you want me to let you fly? I, I got 15 more minutes. We're golden. Okay, I just want to make sure. All right, so Ken Flo, if Cejudo wins on Saturday night, I understand that, that Ian Parker is sick of hearing the Olympic gold medal stuff, right? But if he does win Saturday night, he can not only lay claim to being the best pound-for-pound pound mixed martial arts fighter in the world, which is pretty incredible to think where he was three or four years ago, but in terms of the combat sports hierarchy, right? I mean, this is a Mount Rushmore type dude. If he's a two-division UFC champion, in my mind, he looks to be in the physical shape of his life. He's happy he doesn't have to cut the additional 10 pounds. This is the division in which many people believe Henry Cejudo would realize his most long-term success in MMA. On the other side, I think Ian put it well. I mean, Marais is as richly deserving as any recent title challenger. Uh, recently avenged his only UFC loss by submitting Rafael Asuncao. I think he's won 17 of 18 since aligning with Mark Henry. Who wins the Bantamweight Championship, Kenny Florian, this weekend? Cejudo, Marais, and how do they get it done? Marais said it, man. He said it way back when. He said, Sean Shelby, give me a title <laughs> shot. I want a title <laughs> shot. That's it. And he got it. Get and, that he, pitch. and he got it, boy. Uh, listen, this guy is so dangerous. Um, I see why Ian went this way. Uh, this guy is is devastating when it comes to striking on the inside, from the outside. Um, knows how to mix it all all together. Um, I think he's a competent wrestler as well defensively. Can he stop a, a, a Henry Cejudo, though? I don't know. Listen, Henry Cejudo impressed the hell out of me uh, in his fight against Demetrius Johnson. If you go back and you look at that fight, you know, yeah, I thought Demetrius Johnson probably won the decision. It was, I mean, razor razor thin. Um, I don't have a problem with him winning the fight. But when you put it in the context, the fact that this guy, you know, screwed up his ankle, stepped on his foot early on. It looked like this guy mentally, physically was just out of the fight against Demetrius Johnson. Found a way to come back and win these crucial rounds late in the fight. To me, that was a champion. That was a champion. Whether he won that fight or not by decision, to me, proved a lot. Then he goes out there and and smashes TJ Dillashaw at 125 pounds. Um, of course, perhaps not the Dillashaw that we expected uh, you know, to show up there. But again, Henry Cejudo, just with his power, his ability to mix things up, um, his, his mental fortitude... I don't know, man. I, I think this is a, a really tough fight to pick. I'm going to go the other way. I think Henry Cejudo gets it done by decision against Marlon Moraes. Oh, I can't wait for the fight. And you guys have me more fired up than I was before the show started. Really is incredible to think where Henry Cejudo is relative to that first fight against Demetrius Johnson, Kenny, when he really, and yeah. these are his words, not mine, he was just a wrestler. You know, in April of 2016, he was just a wrestler. Now this weekend, he has a chance to be firmly on top of the combat sports world. Ian Parker, great job as usual, sir. Uh, no UFC Live event after this weekend, so we will talk to you, I guess, in two weeks before the Greenville, South Carolina show, buddy. Thanks for the time. My pleasure, guys. Thank you, Kenny. Good luck this weekend, but not really. You too, brother, but not really. All right, so it looks like four or five disagreements for, for Parker and Ken Flo uh, this week. And that is it for today. we got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to Ray Longo. Thanks to Ian Parker. TJ DeSantis at the controls. Congratulations to Liverpool FC. Woo! Thanks, everybody out there, for listening, for subscribing, for viewing the show. I uh, also hope to have an announcement on the return of the video format of the Anakin Florian podcast by the end of June, if not sooner. With that for the flow, I'm John Anastan. So long for now. Enjoy UFC 238. We are back on Monday to recap it all with you. Until then, don't text and drive. Go fucking later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports. 
Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.